Welcome to New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information regarding New Hope, visit newhopecom.org. Good stuff. Okay, this is going to be good. Like I said, you probably have never heard in church what you're going to hear this morning. I think it will be very interesting. How many know that God has been working through the ages to reveal himself to people on earth? I mean, right? Can I get an amen to that? God has been working throughout time, throughout people, groups, and systems to reveal himself as a good and a loving father to people on earth. It's amazing. Um, And we're going to share a little bit uh, this morning really setting it up for next week and, you know, what we're going to go through together, um, but also share some highlights. Some of you may have know I just returned from Egypt for a couple weeks over there, posted some cool pictures, and um, it was actually pretty cool. For those who are have been in New Hope for a long time, you will remember many years ago, uh, we had a lot of people that went to Turkey, uh, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, the same guide that took people through New Hope to Turkey was the same guy that Jonathan uses when he, when we go to Egypt. So um, so it's just an amazing connection there. Gurkhan is his name. He's a Turkish guy. He's a believer in a very, very, very Muslim country. It's a very a dark, dark place. Um, so anyway, so that was just a very interesting connection for those of you who have been around for a while and would remember that. Um, but we wanted to share just some, uh, you know, just some fun insights to show how amazing God is. And sometimes, you know, if you've been out of the country, you go to different places, you always come back with an awareness of how big God is, right? And how he has been working throughout time and throughout, you know, he's bigger than just at New Hope in North Chile, but he's a God of just, I mean, he's just on a big scale, grand scale. He's amazing. And I definitely came back with just a fresh insight of that, and I love getting out and traveling. This was a really unique trip. Uh, I was one of about 18, I think, that went with the Welton Academy. So there were pastors and leaders on this trip from all over the world. We had uh, pastors from Korea, pastors from China, pastors from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, you know, leaders you know, from all over the place. And uh, it was just an awesome, really awesome time. But uh, so I'm going to call up in a second here, Jonathan, just to share uh, some insights. Uh, but we spent a couple days at the pyramid, seeing the big great pyramid, uh, which was amazing. You're going to hear about it in a second. Again, it just points to how God is amazing, and God is behind more things I think than we realize sometimes working on Earth. You know, on Earth here, um, he's, His influence, His hand, He's at work. He's at work in us. And he's at work on a big scale to reveal himself to people on earth. It's amazing. Um, so I want to, we're just going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to call, uh, Jonathan, if you want to come on up and just share. These are some of the insights that I thought for us, and I shared it with some people, and they're like, you have got to share this with us on Sunday morning. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. I guarantee you've probably never heard some of this stuff before, but it was after a lot of distil- distillation of books and reading and what he's going to share this morning was something you shared while we were in the big great king's chamber of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And it was a crazy experience, so take it away, John. Good morning. Well, it's, I travel a lot, but it's rare that I get to take Steve with me, so that was just wonderful. 
you know, leading up to the trip, there was a lot of people who asked the question, why Egypt? <clears throat> Which I think uh, most Christians, we usually go to Israel. Uh, that's kind of what is the typical um, Middle East tour of ancient stuff. But I know people who've done both, and Egypt is really... Um... <laughs> so uh, we... We just had a, a shocking experience just seeing some of the things that have uh, been there. I realize um, you didn't go on the trip, so I did bring a few pictures to show you guys. If we can put the first one up just as we get started. This is the Great Pyramid of Giza of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's the only one still standing. And what you're looking at is 4,600 years old. 4,600 years old. So uh, what we have here, 2,600 BC, there's this giant building that's built in Egypt, uh, in Giza, which is right next to Cairo. And people have wondered for uh, millennia, literally, it's spanning five millennia, that people have wondered, what is this? Why is it there? What's the point of this bizarre building that just sort of rises in the desert? Now, most people will typically say, oh, it's a tomb. But there's some things about this tomb that actually don't fit. They've found 120 pyramids in Egypt. This is the oldest one, and it's the largest one. And all of the other ones have one tunnel that goes underneath, and at the center underneath it, they bury a pharaoh. And that's a typical tomb. This one is not built like this. This one actually has interior passages that go all through it. I was like, Gurkhan, make sure that we get to go through it. Like, whatever we have to do. Like, uh, do we need passes or whatever? It's actually open to the public. It's so easy to actually go there and go through this. There are certain parts of the secret passageways and stuff that are, that are fenced off, but you can go through the main portions of it. So this... This giant marvel, they still are impressed with how it was built, the fact that it is the heaviest building on planet Earth. Six million tons. It's made of 2.3 million blocks of stone, and they were quarried about 500 miles away and floated up the Nile and then put together. Um, there was a historian in 600 B.C. who was doing some recording about this, and he said that the king, King Khufu, who built this, actually used 100,000 workmen that were constantly working on this. That's a lot of people. So they had a massive army that's basically building this thing, but it's not a tomb. Actually, uh, it wasn't reopened until about 820 when a... Uh, treasure hunter named Caliph was actually trying to break into it, and he, is, he and his workmen burrowed a hole directly into the side of it, 120 feet, before they found one of the interior passageways. And they were ready to give up. They'd been burrowing this hole for about three months, and uh, they were ready to give up, and his workmen were ready to kill him. And, and they finally, they broke through at the last minute, they go in, they search around, there's no treasure, there's no pharaoh, there's no tomb. It's a giant, empty passageways of nothing. Now, they're really ready to kill him. 
Now, he was a little bit clever. I love this story. He says, okay, give me one night to pray to Allah about this. And they all go to sleep. And he goes away from the pyramid a little ways. And he buries the exact amount of gold that he had said to them that he would pay them for their services for three months. So the next morning when they wake up, he says, Allah has given me a dream. He says, we need to dig right over here. And they dig up the coins, and they're all happy, and he doesn't get killed. <laughs> Clever. So, uh, so this pyramid, they, they crack it open. They find a giant empty building with weird, really interesting passageways. And I'll show you some of them in a moment. Um, but these, uh, these have still sat with a lot of mystery sitting around them. Now, the way that you see it currently is not what it would have looked like. Because before, it, now when you see it, it kind of has a, 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 a crooked edge all the way up because you're seeing the underneath stone. Before, it was actually covered in these white, polished limestones. This entire thing would have been completely flat, like a tile surface. And it actually, think about this number with me, it was covered with 144,000 glimmering white limestones. This thing actually could be seen glimmering up to 30 miles away. Now, if you're coming up from southern Egypt, northern Egypt, any direction, you're seeing this thing in the distance that's glimmering. They said that from outer space, it would have looked like a star on planet Earth. So this is, this is incredible, and yet we still don't know what it is in what I've shared so far but I will explain to you what it is in a few minutes. But originally, and for a long time, people have just thought it was a tomb. Now, inside the building, you have these, these specific passageways, um, but to actually understand the background, you have to get into something, some interesting reading. Here's a nice big book. I'm not recommending that you run out and buy this because you won't read it. It's, it's called The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Now, it's become called that because they found it in all the different tombs of the pharaohs. So we just called it the, the Book of the Dead, even though its actual name is the coming forth by day. Completely different. Anyway, so to us it sounds more creepy, so it probably sells more. So Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, and then they have a version, a big one, that actually has the original hieroglyphic um, copies and pictures in there if you want to take a look at that. Um, we, we had a nine-hour nine layover in Paris. We got to go to the Louvre uh, Art Museum in Paris while we were there on the way to Egypt. And Steve and I, we're going through the Egyptian exhibit, and there's the, the coming forth um, by day uh, papyrus actually laid out. We actually got to see it on about 30 feet of the wall before we even started our trip. Now, in that Book of the Dead, it tells us some interesting things. One, for example, it calls the pyramid the Pillar of Enoch. Does anybody remember a character named Enoch? Genesis chapter 5 tells us that there was a man named Enoch who walked with God, and then he was no more because God had taken him. So he and Elijah, who went up in the whirlwind, are the only two people that didn't die a natural death, uh, according to Scripture. So we have Enoch, who is a pretty interesting character, a lot of intrigue. He shows up again for a verse in the book of Jude, where it says, 
Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied this long ago, and then he quotes from Enoch. So Jude is quoting something that was about, about 3,000 years old at the time that Jude is quoting him. So pillar of Enoch. Now, as you keep reading through, the concept is actually that King Khufu, who built this pyramid, his architect was Enoch. Enoch, who walked with God, who had incredible revelation, as even Jude quotes his prophecies that were 3,000 years ahead of time, he had some prophetic revelation that he put into this giant stone building that we're going to take a look at today. Now, it says that Enoch lived 365 years. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 5. He lived 365 years. Interestingly, the base of the pyramid on each of the four sides is 365 cubits, which was the measurement that they used at the time. In Isaiah chapter 19, and I would encourage you to take a look at it if you have your phone or you want to highlight it in your Bible, but in Isaiah chapter 19, we have an interesting little passage that talks about this. It says in Isaiah 19, 19, in that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and a defender and he will rescue them. Those two verses that talk about it being a sign and being a monument now, interesting, it tells you where, but it gives you two very different locations. It says, first of all, in the heart of Egypt, and then second, it says, at its border. This actually fits that really well, because this is in the center of Egypt. But Egypt is divided in two ways. There was a northern Egyptian kingdom and a southern Egyptian kingdom. We learned this part while we were there in the Egyptian museum that you can look at the different hats that the statues have and tell where they were from. There's a northern hat and a southern hat, and then when they finally joined them together, they would wear both hats. So they had, they had a northern and a southern kingdom. So it's at a border, but also the Nile runs through the center of Egypt, and so there's east and west. So Giza is actually, this is the Great Pyramid of Giza. Giza is on one side of the Nile. Cairo is on the other. It's actually the, what we think of as Cairo as one giant city, which is 18 million people. So it's a big city. The half of it is actually Giza, and it's another city, and it's on the other side of the Nile, and that's where this is. So it's at the center of Egypt, but it's also at its border. And actually, the name Giza means border. So it is at the heart and it's at the border. And it's actually called the Great Pyramid of Border. That's technically its name in the modern language. Now, in the original language, the, the word pyramid, because we've never really thought about that. We think pyramid, we think triangle, right? That's not actually what it translates to. The word pyramid itself actually means divine measurements. It's, it's an original word from the, uh, the Coptic language 
and it's Urim Midium, and it means divine measurements. So the numbers and the measurements that are connected to this, and there are entire books, and I've read several of them preparing for this trip, that talk about the details and the mathematics and the astronomy that's connected to this, and I, for the sake of time, I won't get into all of it, but I'll give you one example. So the, the pyramid itself, the way that it was built, it actually left one tool inside that we can understand the measurements. If we go to the next slide, mm, the next slide, that one right there. This weird picture, to the left of my hand, you see this sort of um, embossed uh, piece of stone there. This is a giant piece of granite, and this horseshoe-looking piece right here is an old piece of construction equipment. It's a piece of, a, uh, of equipment that, that we call the boss. Now, when you were building a building 100 years ago or more, you would put a boss somewhere on the work site, and it would be sort of the idea of marking something on, on the rafters so that you could come and actually hold anything up against it, and it was the measuring tape. So rather than just carrying one around, that was your measuring tape. Now, in this case, it it was left there to actually let us know the measurements of everything inside there. The way it works is from the wall where my right hand is to the middle of it is how you measure. And so what you have here is one cubit from the middle to the corner and one cubit from the middle to the other corner. So this was a perfect uh, two cubits wide and a cubit is 25 pyramid inches, which is really close to our inch. They're actually very, very close. Some of the things about this that are pretty stunning, though, is in the Book of the Dead, it talks about the pyramid inch, and it says that a pyramid inch was based on the diameter of planet Earth. <laughs> what? How did they know the diameter of the Earth? Uh, Enoch. That's about as best of an explanation as we can get from that. But they said that a pyramid inch was one five millionths of the diameter of the Earth. No, it's, it's 500 millionths, and there was, there's this whole uh, uh, thing that if you actually take the same number that they were working off of, and you type it into Google, you will find that they were accurate to a, within about 500 feet of what people say, scientists nowadays are saying the actual diameter of planet Earth was. They were that close to being dead on with the explanation, and maybe we're wrong. Maybe, maybe they were right. But within 500 feet of the diameter of the Earth, so one 500 millionths of, of the diameter of the Earth. So you have this inch here, and this inch factors into so many things. If you actually take, uh, in Hebrew, there's a, num a numeric value for every letter. So if you said A was worth... Uh, one and B was worth two and C was worth three and then I was to write out a sentence and you were to add it all up You'd have numbers that sort of code system. Well, they did that with Hebrew. They did that with Greek as well Well the actual uh, verses in Isaiah 19 19 and 20 if you take those two verses and you add up the numeric value of those two verses This is just a stunning piece. You add up the numeric, numeric value of those two verses, you actually get the same 
you get 5,449. 5,449. Now, what is that number? That's the same number of pyramid inches tall that the pyramid itself was. 5,449 pyramid inches tall. So when a Jewish person is reading Isaiah 19, those two verses are basically saying pyramid, 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 pyramid. There will be a sign, there will be a monument to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and at its border. And it will say to them that there's hope when they're being oppressed. It will be when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and a defender, he will rescue them. Now some of us in our mind, we want to tie Bible stories together with this. So we think of Pharaoh and Moses and we think that maybe the Israelites were building this. No, actually this was built in 2600 BC, so by the time the Israelites are there, which is um, many years later, actually about 2200 uh, BC, Abraham shows up, and we actually have had the pyramids already existing. So Israel is in slavery. They're in slavery in Egypt. And for 30 miles, you can see this glimmering white mountain over here. And this glimmering white mountain is a witness and a sign that some, one of their forefathers, Enoch, helped build that reminded them of the presence of the Lord that pointed to them about hope and deliverance from oppression. So they keep seeing this as a reminder. And this is what Isaiah is telling us. And this is how it's written out, that it, he's writing it out in their plain language in numbers that they would instantly see this code, pyramid. Pyramid, pyramid, divine measurements. That's what pyramid means. A few more things on this. Uh, if you go back one slide, I'll show you the only thing they found other than that horseshoe measurement was this open coffin. This is a large piece of red granite stone, the coffin, and the, the only reason the corner's broken off is because some treasure hunter actually took it. They actually have his name. It was like from the 1200s. He went in and broke a piece off and kept it. But uh, it's an open coffin. Now, the, there, there's some things in this that, uh, that we actually get the names of some of these passageways in here from the Book of the Dead. They actually tell us this. So this, in English, we call this the king's chamber. Now, no king was ever buried there. No pharaoh was ever buried there. No treasure is in this building. But this is the furthest passageway when you get to the end of the tunnel at the, the box at the top. You open up to this big open room and this empty coffin. And the literal name of this room written in the Book of the Dead, it says, it's the chamber of the open tomb of resurrection. That's the right response. <laughs> what? Yes, that right there. The chamber of the open tomb of resurrection. I'll tell you a few more. Let's go to the next slide. The next slide. Okay, here's the interior chambers. Now, uh, the, first, the first thing you see on the, the right side there is a passageway that goes down. It's a real deep descent they call it the descending passageway, and that's, that's what it is called. It's called the descent. And it goes all the way down to this box underneath. Now, there's not a room there. What it actually is is an opening 
that then, it, and it's a real big opening, about 40 feet by 20 feet, and it's 80 feet deep. At the very bottom, that box has a hole that goes down 80 feet. And that box area and that hole is called the bottomless pit. We'll keep going. Then you have the ascending passage that goes up, and then you have this big, see the, the big, thick, black passageway? Um, the first one, if you go to the next, the next picture, is only two cubits high. So this is a really small, like uh, the way they have it now, it's at such a steep angle, there are two handrails, and I, I know I'm like this the whole way up, because it's, it's the steep angle to go up. It's, you can't really get a side shot, but it's intense. And once you have walked all the way up through this, which is about uh, 420 feet or so, you walk through it, then it opens up to this next picture, which is called the Grand Gallery. The Grand Gallery is 28 feet high. This room has got this beautiful construction where the walls have this staggered look to them where it's wider and it becomes more narrow. And it's, it's beautiful, incredible construction. As, as I said, of the 120 pyramids, everybody else has a tunnel underneath and a tomb where they buried somebody. And that's it. This is the only one that has interior passageways. So then uh, from here, if, if we go back to the blueprint one, we'll go back two pictures. Okay, so the Grand Gallery is that big, thick area right there. Now, each one of these has names. There's also a little side room there to the middle called the Queen's Chamber. Uh, I don't have pictures of that. That one actually was closed off when we went through. Um, but uh, I'm going to read you some of the other names here. We have the, the descending passageway to the bottomless pit. Then you have the first ascending passage. That was the narrow one, the short one. It's called the Hall of Truth in Darkness. The Hall of Truth in Darkness. Now, when you get to uh, the place where it opens up into the, the Grand Gallery, so that, that point where it meets the big, thick, black uh, piece there, right where it meets it, there's a step that's about... 34 inches deep. That step is called the Passion of the Messiah. And there's an alternative interpretation. It also is called Crossing the Pure Waters of Life. Now, the Hall of Truth in Darkness, that's the narrow ascending passage. Once you open to the Grand Gallery, that's original name is the hall of truth in light. So the hall of truth in darkness, then it opens up to the hall of truth in light. And then once you go through the hall of truth in light, you arrive at the chamber of the open tomb of resurrection. Now, the queen's chamber in the middle there, it's interesting, it's a dead end. Uh, now, all of these are technically a dead end, but you don't get to the king's chamber from the queen's. You have to go down to her place then turn around and come back, and then go up through the Hall of Truth in Light. Now, that spot where it meets, there's also this extra little line. You see the little line coming up from the descending passage? That was called a well shaft, and somewhere right in the middle of it, there's an opening, 
And the opening, uh, they call it now, they call it the grotto, but at the time they called it, in their book, the well of life. Okay, so the, <laughs> I'll pull it all together in a minute. I'm just giving you the pieces. The queen's chamber, when you're coming back from, uh, the, you would have to go out to her chamber, turn around, and come back. That hallway, whether you're going either way, but the hallway is called the path of the coming forth of the regenerated soul. <sighs> All right, so one more piece to this, and then I'll tie it all together. Okay, so at the time that they built this, there was about a 200-year window of time that the descending passageway, the descending passageway pointed out at a constellation called Draconis, the dragon. Have you guys ever tied together an idea of the dragon and the bottomless pit? Does that sound familiar? So there's a descending passageway that points at the dragon, and at the other end of the descending passageway is the bottomless pit. Now, as you follow this passageway down, you get to the ascending passage, you begin to head up, and you hit this three things coming together, the entrance of the Grand Gallery, the entrance of the Queen's Chamber, the entrance of the Well Shaft. All three of those are at the same place, this step that's called the Passion of the Messiah. Now, at that point, you have three different things going on. Now, the, the symbolism, as I understand it, as a believer reading this, is you have, you have non-believers who are now, who at that time, let's say, who are going down the descending passageway. And they come in contact with the well shaft and come up through the water of life up to the passion of the Messiah and open up to the grand gallery, the hall of truth and light, which is the picture of the new covenant. Or you have the Jewish people who are part of the queen's chamber, and yet, it's still a dead end. They have to come back to the step, the passion of the Messiah to enter into the new covenant, the grand gallery, the hall of truth in light. Now, why do I tie in new covenant, old covenant? Well, every author that's a Christian that's written on this topic points to another piece of this with the measurements that I just want to throw in here uh, is that there's actually... In the descending passageway, there's a, a scored line all the way around at one spot. And from that spot, if you begin to count the inches, it actually tells us in the Book of the Dead that the inches in the pyramid correspond to years. They knew they were writing a giant prophetic symbol. So the time from if you start at the ascending passageway, which another translation calls it the yoke of the law, not just the hall of truth in darkness, but also the yoke of the law. And you're under this yoke of the law, it's 1,485 inches long, 1,485 years, a year to an inch, that's what they tell us, a year to an inch. So what is that? 1,485 takes you back to the time of the exodus out of Egypt. Now this is written uh, 1,200 years before that. This is built 1,200 years before the Exodus. And Enoch prophesies it in the building 
and into the actual structure of the inches and all of that. So built right into it is the length of that time period, then the passion of the Messiah, you step over that, and now you're in the grand gallery. The timing of this, if you start at 1485, the end of the hallway will take you up to 4 BC. We know that that's the birth of Jesus, 4 BC. Our calendars are a little off, but 4 BC is when he was born. This step, the length of the step, actually takes you up to 30 AD, which is when Jesus actually dies and resurrects. So you now are standing in the opening of the new covenant, the grand gallery. You've moved from the yoke of the law to the hall of truth in the light. You keep going up into it and you arrive at the open tomb of the chamber of the resurrection. This entire thing was built and has sat there for five millennia as a testimony from the prophet Enoch who put this thing together that was an encouragement when they looked at it in Isaiah 19. It was an encouragement when they, they looked at it in slave before Moses took them out. This giant reflective immense still wonder of the world is really just a giant monument and sign of God. Um, interestingly, and I, I don't have a full explanation for it, but the, uh, the, the piece at the top, this is one of the only pyramids that they never actually finished. There's no capstone at the top, uh, so it's actually flat on top. And we actually got to see in the Egyptian museum that there are, we saw these things. They're like this tall. They're made of solid granite. It was one giant piece that they put on top at the end. This one was never topped. Uh, it's interesting that they called that piece on top the chief cornerstone. And the last thing about it, too, just this thought of, how these other pyramids are built, they're really, they're really meant, in so many ways, it was quite arrogant. It was quite narcissistic to build these giant tombs to yourself and try to protect yourself for the afterlife. And, and just the way that they built them, it was very self-focused. And we saw these enormous statues that are uh, of the pharaohs and their wives and all of that. Uh, the one that built this, King Khufu, they've only found one statue of him. Uh, if we keep going, you'll see, I think it's one of my last photos. Yep, that is three inches tall. <laughs> it's made of ivory. When they found him, they had to take like another week digging to find his head. Um, this, this is the only image of him that they ever found. Um, now, they, they know it's him because of uh, the... the um, the, the hieroglyphics that are written on it on the back actually tell you which king it is. And so, so we know who it is, but this is the only image of the king that built the Great Pyramid of Giza. So I look at that, and it, my conjecture is how humbled this man must have been. Not just how humble, but how humbled. He is working alongside Enoch to 
supply him everything he needs so that he can build this giant, incredible monument to God and all the prophetic everything that's involved in it. And all he did was supply everything that was needed for it. And his only image that he left is a little three-inch statue of himself. So very, very unique piece of history there. And I'll give it back to Steve. Thank you, guys. Isn't that cool? Wow. I don't even know where to go with that. Uh, so I ended up sharing it with some people, and they said, oh, man, you've got to share that. It's so amazing. And I can't do it justice like how he put it all together so well. Uh, but it was amazing. You get your minds blown. God is so awesome, isn't he? I mean, it's like there's such a movement in today to, like, discredit the Bible and, like, say, oh, that stuff didn't happen or whatever. And then you see something like that. It just so validates, you know, the Bible, you know, and what God has been doing throughout creation. It's incredible. I'm so glad we get to serve that God, you know? It's like, I'll tell you, you know, and many of you will understand this. You know, you go over to a Muslim country, and they don't even know if God likes them, you know? I mean, really, they just, you hear the call to prayer going off, and I mean, they're working their whole lives striving to, you know, to even be known. They don't even know if they're known, you know? The, I mean, a lot of the pharaohs, their whole focus was on the afterlife. Just, you know, they spent more time building their tombs and things. But, I mean, we have a God that knows us, you know? I mean, He knows us intimately, and He loves us, and He cares about us. And it becomes so clear when we're, when we're over there. I will tell a funny story, okay? One, one funny story. Um, so, uh, this was, uh, yeah, an interesting one. It wasn't funny at the time, but it's funny now. Uh, it was funny when we walked out of there, and, you know. Um, but we were in the Valley of the Kings one of the days, in, in the tombs. And you walk in the Valley of the Kings, and there's just these old tombs all along, you know, they've discovered of, of pharaohs. And you walk into these, and they're like a long hallway that's burrowed in the mountain. It goes to the, you know, could be, you know, two, three hundred feet in or something, and there's their, the tomb where they found King Tut's tomb was over there. So we were in one of them, and they had told us in the beginning, you know, when you go in there, don't take pictures, don't take photo, you know, don't do anything like that. So, of course, you know, but we're Americans. We, we bend the rules. We try to sneak pictures in here or there, you know. So sure enough, so we're in one of the famous tombs, King Tut Moses, this amazing pharaoh tomb. We're looking around at it, and, you know, we walk up this, I don't know if it was like four or five stories to get into the tomb where they found it, you know, is this a, quite a, a journey to get in there. So we walk in there, and sure enough, I mean, come on, you, you got to take a picture, right? It's like, I'm gonna, just going to sneak one picture, like when I was in the Vatican and the Sistine Chapel, and they're like, don't take pictures. I said, Joy, I want to just take one. She yelled at me, do not try to take a picture. You'll end up in a Roman jail. Um, but so I did take out my picture, or my camera here, just to get a couple quick sh little quiet shots and uh, our guide, Gurkhan, did the same thing. Well, I, I did it because I saw John take his camera out and say, well, and here we are from King Tut Moses' food doing a live feed in the tomb. So I said, well, okay, if he's doing that, it probably won't hurt to like, take, snap a few quiet pictures. Sure enough, doesn't the security guard come around and the guy sees me taking a one quiet picture? John is right next to me saying, and here I am, John Welton from King Tut Moses' tomb. You're not going to believe. Look at everything. He's walking around the tomb showing it. And I take one little quiet picture, and the guy said, give me your phone. I said, I'm not giving you my phone. 
you know, so, but they wanted to see it. So I said, no, I didn't. Okay, now I'm on camera, on podcast lying. But I said, no, I didn't really take any pictures. It's fine. You know, we'll delete them. It's fine. So I just kept walking. And sure enough, doesn't he follow me with another guy? Now, I had gone downstairs, and I, you know, John said, oh, you can delete the photos, and let's take them out of your trash later, you know, so I deleted all my stuff, and so I could get it out of the trash later. Uh, so we ended up, so when he says it to me, he says, yeah, I need your phone. He said, it's going to be one million. I said, one million? Like, for taking one little picture? You know, so, I mean, because they want tips, and they want money. So I said, one million. Okay, so Gurkhan and the guide and I, we worked it out. We ended up settling for 100 Egyptian pounds, which is about five bucks. So I felt like it was a pretty good deal. We negotiated a good deal uh, from one million down to five bucks. So there's 17 Egyptian pounds in one dollar. So it's like, okay, I felt like, you know, Trump would have said that was probably a good deal, you know, if you, if you got negotiated down. But so anyway, so that's one story I had to share because my, my kids got a big kick out of that one too. But, and I didn't end up in an Egyptian jail or anything like that. So close, but it didn't happen. So, um, But anyway, so isn't that stuff cool though? I just thought it would be great to share that. Um, just a few thoughts I have too. And, and I, honestly, I really do thank you for praying. I know a lot of you guys are praying for us. Uh, you know, and I love the fact that we have such a good team here that you know, just administered things so well when we were gone. I didn't worry about anything. And like, but I, I miss it. If I'm not here, I miss, I want to know what's going on. Aaron knows that. So last Sunday during church, Aaron's texting me during the service, and I'm seeing those messages live in Egypt seven hours ahead of you, you know, later or whatever. Um, and she's, worship's so amazing. I'm like, oh, great, man, I wish I could be there. And uh, Ben did such a good job with announcements. Oh, okay, I'm so glad. You know, I'm, I'm totally in tune with what's going on. You know, I might not be here, but we got a really good, uh, good, te- a good team. Uh, so just a few things I just want to kind of tie it all together with. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I just feel like, um, you know, what we saw over there was God's purposes, right? And any of you have traveled, you know, God's purposes being embedded in creation we today continue the revelation of a good God in all that we do. And like that was God back then saying, I'm going to instill this in creation so that people can look and know how good I am. And they can remember, right? It's going to be something you see and you remember. And I just, you know, even today as I was preparing, you know, we get to continue the revelation of God. We continue in the revealing of God in his nature. Like, it, it, one of the most simple things to think of it, the revelation of a good and a loving Father. And that's what we get to do every day. Last week, Ralph talked about we are basically just a big, giant billboard out walking around, displaying the love of Christ. You know, he had the thing in his, uh, the kingdom of God is within you and the light. I love that. But we are just big, giant billboards, you know, displaying the good, the good love of God. Um, and, and I also felt, just to share some other thoughts, um, we, I, I believe we are really coming into a time where the body of Christ is going to be more known for what they're for than just what they're against. And we're, going, we're coming into a time where, and I'm not just talking about here, but anywhere, in the body of Christ, people are going to look and say, I like them, I like what they're for, I like what they're about. And we are about displaying a good and a loving Father and revealing that. 
you know, what child just wants to know what their kids are, or their father's against? You know, well, my dad doesn't like that. My dad doesn't like, I've heard some kids say that. My dad hates that. My dad doesn't like that. My dad doesn't like that. My dad doesn't like that. But most likely, kids, you don't want to know what your father's for. You want to know what your, your father's for so you can push that forward, right? Um, so I think, um, you know, I can look at Jesus in the Bible and see what he was for. And, and we can pick up where he left off, you know, the woman at the well where, uh, you know, um, God just spoke truth, truth to her yeah, and changed her life. She had an encounter with him. And then he said, go and sin no more. You know, I know what Jesus was for, you know. It's not just about everything we're against, but be extravagant in our love for people and for each other. Um, you know, my kids get a kick out of hearing, uh, like, who they look like or who their mannerisms are like. And now they're all getting to the age where they all pick it apart, you know. And like, you know, but like Lexi, you tell Lexi she looks like mom and she, like, gets this big grin on her face and thinks it's, like, the greatest thing. You know, or one of them looks like me or has mannerisms like me. And uh, that's how we are kind of with God. It's like, you know, you see the mannerisms. I see the mannerisms in Wayne, and it's like, yep, God's like that. He's a good dad. You know, God's like that. God's like that. That's how we are with each other. It's like I can see God in each one of us, you know. It's really good. And then when you get to a certain age, you know, your kids sit around the dinner table and pick on you about your mannerisms. So, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it just happened last week. I'm like, I, I don't feel like, I remember doing that with my parents. I don't feel like I'm old enough for them to pick on me. And I don't think I do half those things they say I do. Like, they say I do this a lot. And I was like, I don't think I do that. I don't think I do that. What was the other one, Joy? Oh, yeah, I'm not going to start showing all that stuff. I don't think I do any of that. Um, but anyways, so I don't know how I got off track there. Um, but I'll tell you this. <laughs> oh, you guys. You want me to go there, and I'm not. I'm not. And you on the podcast, you're wondering, what is going on there today? What is going on at New Hope? They are a strange group. Um, but here's, here, here's the thing. Um, in order for us to see what God is doing on earth, sometimes we need our spiritual eyes or our glasses cleaned, right? Do you ever feel like sometimes your spiritual eyes get a little foggy? And it's like, you know, maybe we've been watching the news too much. We're getting, you know, all um, bent out of shape about things or whatever. And I'm not saying don't be active and engaged in society. I, I'm a huge proponent of that. Anyone knows me knows I do. Uh, but I am talking about being overindulged and, you know, getting uh, our glasses cleaned. And then you can't see clearly what God is doing. You know, you, you can't see clearly what God's doing on the earth. So um, I think next weekend might be a good, good part of that, too. Just, you know, getting, our, getting the fog off the glasses, what God said he was, was going to do and what he's doing. You know, what, what didn't happen and what don't we need to be fearful about. Um, but I think it's cool. We're, next weekend... Um, we are going to experience a biblical basis for living an exhilarating and a hopeful life in Christ. All right? Who, I mean, I really believe life is meant to be lived and lived abundantly. And don't get robbed from fear. Don't get robbed from other things. Um, but, you know, it's always good to trace it back to what does the Bible say. It's so freeing. So we're going to hear about that more next week. But 
Um, as I was preparing this morning, the Lord said to say just a few things to us in closing. Here's one. You are perfectly and wonderfully made for this hour. You are perfectly and wonderfully made for this hour. To love people, to set captives free, to reconcile people to the Father. That I felt like the Lord say that for each one. Receive that for yourself. You are perfectly and wonderfully made for this time. And don't let the enemy rob you of that. Step you're, you're perfectly and wonderfully made for today. Uh, Philippians 3.2 says that we're citizens of heaven. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors of heaven, right? We're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors that reflect the nature of the king here on earth. Um, we're part of releasing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of love on earth. And I want to end with just a few scriptures because this is going to, I think, push us into what our mission is, you know, and it's going to set us up for what God's going to speak next weekend. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26 said, oh, I almost did it there, but I did not. I did not. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, 26. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule all, uh, and all authority and power. For he, Jesus, is talking about, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. What we see there is that Jesus right now is reigning at the right hand of the Father, but he's ruling through us, okay? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he's ruling through us on earth. I think we just hear the thing of the body of Christ so much that we just throw that term around. But he, he is literally ruling through us. He's reigning, he's ruling through us, his people. We are called to extend his reign in the kingdom of God here. He wants to rule through us. And I love this one, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Whose feet? Your, ours. The God of peace is going to crush Satan under our feet. We said earlier, Satan's defeated. Now we're going to push him out completely, push him out of every area of life, every influence of life that he still has his you know, thoughts and his, you know, he's intertwined into a little bit. Mostly their thoughts and things, but they're still evil, and we're going to push that out. That's part of our mission on this earth is to extend the reign of Jesus. You know, I, I believe we're coming to a time where there isn't going to be sickness. You know, there's not going to be just depression. There's not going to be murder. There's not going to be... We're pushing that stuff forward. We're extending the reign of God so that you don't see that stuff anymore, right? I, I love that image, um, and I, and I think this is interesting. So the God of peace is going to crush Satan under our feet. I've been saying and feeling for months that there is a new boldness coming upon us as a people, right? There's a new boldness coming upon us to do the work of the kingdom, to, to be who God has called us to be, to pick up the torch, to go further. Um, but it's going to take a joining together. It's going to take a joining together to be able to make that work and to be a reality. We can't do it on our own. I love this scripture, and I'm going to close with this. 1 Corinthians 6.17, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. I, I almost think that's a principle. Yeah, when we join ourselves to the Lord, and you can say in a sense we have, we are believers, he's in us, but I think there's a joining together 
that takes over our whole life in, in the kingdom of God, right? Amen on that? Like you, when we join ourselves to the Lord, we are joining ourselves to Him and to His purposes. Um, and that means that there's nothing else in our lives that is, you know, separating or that is distracting from what He's called us to do and who He's called us to be. So I want to encourage us in that today, that either there might even be some, as we pray in a minute, where you're saying, yeah, Lord, I want to fully join myself to you and to your purposes. And we are joined with each other because I can't do my thing on my own. Joy can't do it on her own. Wayne can't do it. Karen, John, we need each other. We need the body of Christ. We are joined to each other as we are joined to the Lord, right? So it's so important. So why don't we just stand? I just want to pray over us in closing and just kind of launch us. And just take the hand of the person next to you if you can, or just find a hand to grab with asking them first. <laughs> uh, Lord, uh, we just love you. Uh, I thank you, God, for what you've done this morning. Lord, even in worship, just being able to worship you, to get changed, to be transformed to even be more like you, uh, to think more like you do, Lord, even this morning, that we're not going to walk out the same way that we came in. Holy Spirit, I thank you even now as you've been speaking to people this morning, as you've stirred our hearts about joining ourselves to you fully and not holding anything back. Lord, even this morning in a fresh way, we say that. We come forward. We, we join ourselves to you with our whole heart. Lord, we open up our heart to you. We want to be fully joined to you and to your purposes. We step up today. We step into those things you've called us. We step into those things you've been stirring our hearts for this morning. And I know, I feel it. There's my people. God's been stirring your heart this morning. You've been set up that you're here today. God has set you up to be here. And he's calling you higher. He's calling you farther into things of his purposes. That there's no greater fulfillment than walking with God, walking in his purposes walking in a life of faith and obedience. And Lord, make that even more real to us this morning and even this week. We exist, God, for something so much bigger than ourself, but it's for you, it's for your purposes. This isn't just about us and my own personal call with God or whatever. It's, it's about moving forward together in unity with what you want to accomplish on the earth today. Lord, I pray a blessing over everybody here. Lord, even as we go out, we leave, we go to work, we do our things. Lord, that there'd be, even like Will, there'd be just increased favor upon everybody this week. Favor over their work. Favor over their skills and their trade and whatever you've called them to do to reflect your nature. If you're a teacher, that you're reflecting the good to your kids. You're reflecting the love of the Father. Lord, that there'd be a new awareness for all of us as we're out there and we're serving and we're ministering to people. We're ministering to a hurting world that there'd be more of an understanding, Lord, even as we leave today. Lord, we bless you. Thank you for all that you're going to do this week. Thank you for the testimonies we're going to hear next week, like we heard this week, of what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of other people. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you all. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. 